story is found throughout the pages of Scripture. Uh, I'm going to bounce back and forth a lot. So uh, listen for references. Listen for connections between the story that will be our homestay and the stories which will go different places. If you want, we'll be landing ultimately in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles to that. Chapter 27, verses 26 to 31. The story begins that God created. God's premier creation, his prized creation was humanity. Now, humanity was meant to be in perfect relationship with him, but humanity chose to do their own thing, to go their own way. This meant that there could not be intimate communion, intimate connection, intimate relationship with God between God and humanity unless there was some form of reconciliation. That's Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 12 through Malachi 4, so the rest of the Old Testament, is about God's story of trying to reconcile us to him. A sacrificial system was set up. Worship was prescribed and laid out. People tried and failed. Tried again and failed again. There was great rescues by God and many, many, many people, we call them prophets, that God sent to speak for him to his people in an attempt to get them to reconcile with God. Ultimately, none of that stuck. None of it worked long term. We know this. That's why we have the story of Jesus. Jesus came to us in a miraculous conception. He grew in wisdom and stature, often surprising and confusing his parents. Let's be honest. If you're trying to raise normal kids, it's hard and confusing. Amen. Amen. You're trying to raise the Son of God himself, I would imagine it would be confusing. Jesus lived with humanity. He was humanity in all of its realness. And at just the right time, he began his public ministry. There was his baptism with a dove descending, a voice coming from heaven. There was sick people healed, dead people raised, demons cast out, meals eaten together, lots and lots of stories told, and just as many questions asked. It was a fantastic public ministry. Jesus gathered 12 apostles to intentionally pour his life into. He ate, slept, walked, talked, and guided this group of nothing special about them guys. They, at times, understood Jesus. And at other times, they were just as confused as the next guy. Jesus soon became known. And ultimately, Jesus upset enough of the wrong people. See, he did miracles at enough of the wrong days. And he healed enough of the wrong people. He ate meals with enough of the wrong people. He claimed enough of a unique relationship with Yahweh so many times that the religious people, the Jews, of which Jesus was one, the religious Jews said, that's enough. We've got to get rid of this guy. So a plot was formed. A disciple took a bribe. A kiss was exchanged in the garden, and Jesus ended up in the custody of the Roman soldiers. We know the story. And it didn't go too well, did it? And in the hours leading up to that, Jesus' feet had been anointed. There had been a last supper. There was a denial three times by a friend of any sort of friendship with Jesus. 
There was a prayer in the garden, and then there was the arrest. This led to an extended trial in multiple different places where ultimately Pilate, the guy in charge, decreed that Jesus was not guilty. But the mob kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And ultimately, Pilate caved. Just like that, the judicial process was done. And it was time for the sentence to be carried out. Here's where we find ourselves in our text today. Matthew chapter 27, verse 26 and following. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. See, he had given the crowds a choice. Release Jesus, who Pilate knew didn't do anything wrong, or release Barabbas, who was a known criminal. The crowds said release Barabbas. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery, and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! They spit on him, grabbed the stick, and struck him in the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe. And put on his own clothes again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Flogged already. Scourged and bloodied. Physically worn down. Pain penetrating every breath. With every moment. With every blink. Jesus was then turned over to the Roman soldiers. The governor's soldiers. And Jesus was taken into the praetorium, the back room, the barracks of these soldiers. This was away from the Jewish leaders who had called for his arrest. This was away from the Roman governor who had sentenced Jesus to death. This was in a back room where nobody saw, and the text tells us that the entire regiment, all of the cohort, the whole battalion was there. If this was true, there was 600 of them. Many scholars think there were that many. Others say that there there wouldn't have been that many there. There was only going to be 200. Either way, 200 or 600 against one who has already been flogged. These soldiers, now away from the view of everyone, they may have just been 18-year-old enlistees who had signed up to see the world. They may have still been writing letters home every day telling mom and dad what they were seeing. Some of them may have seen action in battle already. These soldiers may have been the young men whom Roman government had called upon to squash other insurrections that were so common in that day. They may have been able to see their friends lose their lives in skirmishes with other so-called messiahs and their followers. Several authors say these men in that backroom barracks probably didn't have any idea what they were doing. In fact, one author says these soldiers were conscripts who may well have come from the ends of the earth, and they indulged in their rough horseplay 
But unlike the Jews, unlike Pilate, they did it in ignorance. Maybe for Jesus, of all things, this was the easiest to bear. For although they made a sham king of him, there was no hatred in their eyes. Yet even in their ignorance, this rowdy group of young men, 200 to 600 strong, they saw an opportunity. Another author says to have a supposedly self-proclaimed king in their power offered an unusually good sport. And for the non-Jewish soldiers, soldiers to have an opportunity of abusing a Jewish dignity with impunity was a chance that they were not going to miss. So they put a scarlet or a red robe on him. They placed, not so gently, a crown of thorns on his head. And they gave him a reed stick. This bloodied and beaten man. I quote that this whole scene is a mock enthronement with improvised cheap substitutes doing duty for a royal robe, a royal crown, and a royal scepter, and physical abuse substituted for royal homage. The gospel writer Matthew expects his readers to catch the ironical truth of the honors heaped upon Jesus in jest and mockery. I've been reflecting on this passage for a while. You see, I've known about the crown of thorns. That's, that's common in the story. I think I've even known about the robe, maybe even the stick, but I don't know if I'd ever made the connection in this story that they were all together. It's actually last July that I read this, and I thought that would make a great Easter series. Let's look at those three things. As I've reflected, I've had to wonder if the soldiers had any idea what they were doing. Did they have any idea what these things could symbolize? Sure, they knew the royalty symbolism of them. But did they have any idea that anybody with any sort of Old Testament knowledge could make connections that were bigger than that? Today, we look at the robe. And I want to say that there's two different types of robes that we'll look at. One set of robes is the robes that God wore. The robes that God did. The other set is the robes that humanity wore. The robes that ultimately led to Christ in that back room that day. Matthew chapter 27, verse 28. So the soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. There are 12 different, robe, uh, 12 different words in the Greek language that our English language will translate robe. One of them is hemation. It's the most common word. It's used 61 times in the New Testament. This would have been the word that described the robe that Jesus wore all the time while that he was walking around. It was the common robe. It would have been like your favorite pair of jeans, the thing you wear every single day. The, the robe in this passage is not a hemation. In fact, the word here is clamus, and it's used only once here. It literally means a short cloak worn by military soldiers or officers or magistrates. It would have been easily attained by that group of 200 to 600 men in that back room. Some even think that it was a leftover scarf of pilots. Me? I think it was probably one of the robes that the soldiers were wearing. And when the mockery started, he thought, oh, this would be fun. Let me take this off. I'll put it on him. Now, the type of robe 
Even the color of robe doesn't matter for our purposes today. For today, I see a huge amount of symbolism, a massive amount, monumental symbolism. And the fact that they put a robe on Jesus and this robe had echoes throughout the pages of Scripture. When the prophet Isaiah began seeing visions of the Lord, Tim started us this morning with this. What did he see? Isaiah 6, 1, it says, It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. The psalmist sang out in Psalm 93, The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. In Psalm 104, the psalmist says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Lord, my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. Did the soldiers know that in putting a robe on Jesus, they could have been pointing directly to Yahweh, to God himself, to the Lord of heaven's armies? Stick with me here for a while. We're going to dance a bit throughout the story. See, a robe was one of the key articles of clothing, one of, one of the key articles of decor that God had told Moses to make for his brother Aaron, who was going to be the first high priest. God said, place a robe on him as he stands between humanity and me, as he ministers to both of us. Quite fitting knowing the story. A man standing in between God and humanity, making it possible for the two to once again experience intimate relationship with each other. A man wearing a robe in a desert tabernacle. A man wearing a robe in a backroom soldier's barracks. Both standing in between humanity and God. The robe would have had many other echoes throughout the pages of Scripture as well. During Jesus' ministry, as he walked around the streets of Galilee, as he got his feet dirty walking around, what did people reach for to try and get healed? The robe. Remember the story of the bleeding woman? Mark chapter 5? From Scripture. She heard about Jesus, so she came up from behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Go back before the roads of Galilee to the prophet Jonah. When Jonah finally made it to Nineveh, he had had a short stay in a belly of a big fish bread and breakfast beforehand. But when he finally made it to Nineveh and he gave the message to the king that your city's going to get destroyed, the king did what? Stepped off the throne and tore his robe in repentance. God led him to that place. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Our text is very, very specific. These three men refused to bow. They refused to worship anything other than God. And the text specifically says that they were thrown into this fiery furnace with their robes still on. You can look it up, Daniel chapter 3, verse 21 and 27, because at the end, the text says, when the men came out, their robes were not even singed. 
robes worn in a story of complete, selfless, and dangerous faith. Jesus was also in a robe while in the process of demonstrating complete, selfless, and dangerous faith. There are more echoes still. The man of sorrow, Job, claimed that he wore righteousness like a robe. Jesus' life was full of righteousness. It was the royal robes of the king that were put on Mordecai when Haman's plot to kill the Jews was discovered by Queen Esther. Robes meant to display honor and dignity. Was it honor and dignity that Jesus was experiencing in that backroom barracks with 600 men? The great leader Nehemiah stood before the people of Israel. You see, he and his leadership had been loaning money to the poor and the oppressed to their own kin, charging interest. So he stood in front of the gathering of the Israelites and he shook out his robe. He says, may God do the same thing to me if I fail to give everything back to you and if I fail to keep my promise. May God shake out me like I shake out this robe. That day in the backroom barracks, I bet Jesus' robe was shaking but he was shaking from the beating that was taking place. And you've got to wonder if the soldiers realized that what was taking place was the ultimate way, played out in the most brutal fashion, that God was keeping his promises to his people. King David. Remember when King David danced before the Lord? We always picture King David dancing in his royal undies, right? That's what the text tells us. But you go to 1 Chronicles, and it also tells us, chapter 15, verse 27, that he wore a linen robe, a fine linen robe. When he brought the ark of the Lord, which was significant because it represented God's presence, when he brought the ark of the, ro- of the, of the Lord back to Jerusalem, catch this, God's presence, once again wearing a robe. Once again, back in Jerusalem. Only this time it was a poorly dyed red soldier's robe. Long before David danced, long before he was king of Israel, the first king of Israel was King Saul. King Saul had a son named Solomon, or Jonathan, excuse me. Jonathan had some insight. And he knew that, you know, dad isn't going to rule forever, but this guy named David, that guy's got some potential. So he swore allegiance to David. He says, I'm going to be your guy. I'm going to be your friend. I will be honest with you from here until eternity. And 1 Samuel 18 says, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe. And he gave it to David, along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. A robe to display loyalty and friendship. Years before that, the man named Jacob who wrestled with God and was renamed Israel. The man named Jacob had a whole bunch of kids and he had a favorite son named Joseph. What did he give his son named Joseph? Come on now. A multicolored coat, right? A robe. A robe to demonstrate love. Did the soldiers in that back room, as they beat Jesus with the stick from his hand, did they realize The robe that he was wearing was symbolic of the ultimate love that God has for his people. 
God Almighty, robed in majesty and light. A robe worn by a person bridging the gap between us and God. A robe touched for healing. A robe torn in repentance. Robes worn by the unwavering, by the righteous. A shaken robe for keeping a promise. A royal robe worn in celebration of God's return presence to God's holy city. A robe used to promise loyalty. A robe used to express love. These robes symbolize what God did for humanity. They point to a God who originally created, who wanted relationship and was doing all he could to reconcile. Did the soldiers hear those echoes? Did they even consider the potential symbolism? Or did they hear the other echoes, the other reverberations that could be taking place? Do we hear those other echoes, robes that we wear? that ultimately led Jesus to that back room. These echoes point us to why Jesus was where he was that day, in the back room barracks surrounded by 200 to 600 men making a mockery of him. Robes showing what humanity did. Robes tied to sin. Robes that were worn and that continue to be worn today. Echoes throughout the story. Jesus' biggest opposition through all of his public ministry was with who? The religious people, right? And oftentimes he would say, whoa, whoa. In fact, Matthew 23, he said a lot of woes to them. Speaking about the priests, the pastors, the theologians of that day, Jesus said everything they do is for show. On their arms they put big boxes with lots of scripture verses in them, and they wear robes with extra long tassels to prove how holy they are. Do our cross necklaces, do our email forwards, do our bumper stickers attempt to do the same thing? Looking back even further, at a couple of obscure stories, but interesting stories, there was a king of Israel named Jehu, okay? And in that time that he was king, there was a lot of people not worshiping God, they were worshiping the idol Baal. And he devised this plan to figure out who's worshiping them, whose heart is set on Baal, and whose heart is set on Yahweh. So he said, let us give robes to all the people who are going to come to this big celebration to worship Baal. Gather them together. Let's give them robes. Robes worn by people whose heart was not set on God. Do we ever put things first? Before God. Maybe that would lead to us wearing a robe. There were robes that were torn left and right throughout Scripture, becoming evidence of the sin that was running rampant. King David tore his robe when he heard that his son Amnon had been murdered by his other son Absalom. That's 2 Samuel 13. Of course, that tied back to a story from two years earlier when Amnon had raped his half-sister. He had violated her, King David's daughter Tamar, and after violating her, he sent her away, and she cried out that was even worse than what he had done to her physically, and as she left, she tore her long, beautiful robe and threw ashes on her head. Before that was King Saul's sinfulness. See, he had refused to obey the Lord's instructions completely, so God sent Samuel to him to say, God's going to be with you no longer. Saul didn't like that. 
And when Samuel turned to walk away, Saul reached out. He grabbed Samuel's robe, and it tore. Samuel turned around and said, this is symbolic of what God's going to do to you in Israel. He will tear that kingdom from you because of your sin. Saul had not obeyed God completely. There's a story of Samson. Even earlier in Scripture, there was a 30-robe price for people to answer a riddle correctly. Interesting story. Judges chapter 14, the story ends in deception and murder. Remember Achan's sin? Achan was the man who, who did not follow God completely. When the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River, they, they attacked the first city. They won. They went to the next city. It's the little town of Ai who they should have just conquered like completely. And yet Ai beat them. What was Achan's sin? He stole 200 pieces of silver and a royal Babylonian robe. A robe had lure to it. There was lust for that robe. What about the story of Noah? Oh, pastor, don't corrupt the story of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was a man that Scripture tells us in Genesis 6 did everything that God wanted him to do. Noah built a boat. God brought the animals. It rained, it rained, it rained, and then the water slowly started receding. And when it had finally receded, God said, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. Noah did. He went out and he planted a vineyard. He grew grapes. He made wine. He drank, and he drank, and he drank, and he got drunk. And then he got naked. And he went inside his tent. No big deal, right? Back then, public nakedness was, was shameful. His son walked in on him. He turned around and ran. He went and told his brothers. His brothers, what did they grab? A robe. Genesis 9, then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. The boys covered their father's shame with a robe. Go back to one more story to where it all began. Adam and Eve made a choice to disobey God. After the correction, after the discipline from God, God covered their nakedness with the skins of an animal. A lot of your Bibles said God made clothes for them. The Hebrew says he made a tunic. I would say he made robes to cover sin. Robes all the way back to the very beginning of our story. Robes showing sins of disobedience, lust, envy, pride, arrogance, shame, gluttony, murder, covetousness, covetedness, and more. All robes that created a rift between humanity and God. All robes that made it necessary for reconciliation to happen. All things that would end up leading Jesus to a backroom barracks where a makeshift robe was put on him while he endured the mockery and foul play of several hundred soldiers. Hear the story again. So Pilate ordered Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tip whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters, into their barracks, and they called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery, and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, 
and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. If we're candid with each other, if we're honest with each other, we know we have worn robes that have screamed out, crucify him. We know we have worn robes that had led to Jesus being in that back room that day. Two different types of robes. One, a set of robes that God wears, that God does, that God did. The other, a set of robes that continue to be worn. Each of our lives have both in them. It's our story. But our choice is which robe will we continue to put on Jesus? Will we continue to put robes of sinfulness and shame on him? And in essence, be ourselves in that back room mocking alongside with those soldiers? Or will we claim the robes that God has said, I will wear for you, that Jesus demonstrated he was willing to wear for us? Robes that bridge a gap between him and us. Robes that lead to a promise of loyalty, of friendship, of forgiveness. What robes will we continue to put on Christ? The end of the story of Scripture, the the book of Revelation, we see Jesus again. And he's again wearing robes. Revelation chapter 1, he's in a white robe. Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, it says he's in a robe dipped in blood. And in verse 16 of that same chapter, it says that near his thigh, on the robe, is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, the soldiers in the praetorium, in that backroom barracks, they mocked Jesus as king. I don't think they knew that Jesus was king. King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will be and is wearing robes again. What robes will we continue to place on him? Let's pray. God, thank you for the story that we know is true. And as hard as it can be during this Easter season to realize that our sins also drove Jesus to the cross, that it was our sins that also led him to being in a back room with 600 men who put a robe, a crown of thorns, and a stick in his hand and mocked him. It was our mockery as well. As hard as it is to remember that during this Easter season, God, it's good to know that you have chosen to wear those robes for us, and we know the rest of the story. We know that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And I pray, Father, that you would help us. Help us examine, Lord, what our life looks like so that we can know whether we continue to mock Jesus or whether we claim the robes of his righteousness, the robes of forgiveness, the robe dipped in blood that is the sign of a new covenant. God, as we think on this this next week, may we be reminded of the whole story of Scripture and also the story that is told surrounding Easter. We thank you for wearing that red soldier's robe for us.
We can't thank you enough. In Jesus' name, amen.